Oh, it's your favorite time of the week. All your work is done, and it's time to relax. So come, grab some friends, and let's get lit and join the rotation. You are now in the rotation with Suncoast Normal. We are your host, your Suncoast Normal Executive Board, and we say it's time to legalize it. Does that mean we're live? We've been live for We've six been seconds. Live? Okay, well, that means that it's time to rip off the mask. Holy shit. <laughs> and get to the task. It's time to jump into the rotation. It's Sunday morning, and it's time to come to reality and come to church. We're here at the rotation with your political director, Gary Stein, my co host, <laughs> Carlos. <laughs> Angel Armida, and from the Beltway, our director, Christopher Kano. This is my church, guys. <laughs> the church of the rotation. I like it. We, we got to go tax it. And, and directly below us here, we have a special guest from the national normal. The folks who know more than everybody else does nationally, except for the folks on the inside who are making the mistakes. We have Justin Strickle, who is the political director of Florida of National Normal. Justin, hey, how you doing today? I'm doing great. You know, it's it's, it's early Sunday morning, but I'm, I'm feeling really good, excited to talk to with you guys. Now, your head must be pounding because I know that you have your finger on the pulse of all the different cannabis laws that are that are pounding out here and there. And we have a lot of people who are, have a lot of questions about what the heck is happening inside the Beltway that's going to eventually affect the both of us. We spent four years with that stupid meme of uh, Trump sitting in some theater with a joint. Everybody said he's going to legalize it any day now, any day now. Did you ever feel that way over in D.C.? You know, I I did not. Um, I never, you know, took a, a off the cuff remark that Donald Trump made while running for president as, as if it was in stone as some other people had. Um, you know, I would have loved for him to sign a, a bill like as Cory Gardner kept on for now former Senator Gardner kept on telling us that Donald Trump was going to sign the States Act into law. Would have loved that, um, but but was not surprised to see that that he was not the champion that so many of our friends on the right have have espoused him to be. But just as as we can't be under any delusions that that somehow some way Joe Biden, the the current president is now a, a huge believer in our cause. We, we still have a lot of work ahead of us. Yeah, I, I've seen uh, a lot of interesting ideas coming from uh, President Biden. First off, of course, he, he had a nice little interview with Bertha Madras where he totally agreed with her on so many aspects. And that is scary in and of itself. But we were expecting that once he got into office that things were gonna change, the atmosphere was gonna change. And of course, we heard this last thing two weeks ago about the uh, number of White House employees that were asked to resign or work from home. And the question is, was it strictly a security clearance thing or is it a administrative policy thing? That's a very good question. And, and it is entirely too early for me to, to, to be ready to throw bombs at this moment because the mere fact that we're having this conversation about this current administration and, and the fact that they're willing to even 
even consider engaging in the conversation is leaps and bounds ahead of the previous administration under Donald Trump, the previous administration under Barack Obama, the previous administration under George W. Bush, the previous administration under uh, Bill Clinton, three of whom publicly admitted to smoking cannabis. So, you know, I, I think when we talk about drug tests, when we talk about all of these different components when it uh, pertains to and federal employees, we have to remember that there's still very much in effect Executive Order 1256-4, the, the Federal Workplace, uh, Drug-Free Workplace Act, which was since 1986 under Ronald Reagan. Um, this is something that in, in order to change these policies, we need to rescind that executive order. That hasn't happened yet. Um, I will flag that that the acting director of the Office of Personnel Management, OPM, or that o basically HR for the White House, and the administration did put out revised guidelines just a few weeks ago that, that says that previous uh, use of cannabis is not automatically a, a reason to not employ somebody. Whereas four months ago, under the previous administration, if somebody had filled out their form and said that they had previously smoked weed, they would not even be considered for employment. So it is a step forward, but it is far short of where we need to go. So this is still basically an outstanding policy from the Reagan administration that has not totally been uh, absolved yet. But what was the the uh, the word that was saying that that, that this particular administration was, was going to overlook that at least for a little while, and they, they changed the policy, or was that strictly rumor? You know, and the, we're we're still I think what only sixty days into the new administration, something like that. Um, you know, there there's still a long way to go. I, I I don't like to trade on rumors. You know, as 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 the lobbyist for normal, I take my job very very seriously in making sure that every time I say something, it is it is absolute fact. And and I don't want to comment on rumors. And and nor because oh my goodness, people love to traffic in them. Yeah. Well, we, we have something similar here in Florida that you guys are dealing with over in D.C. And we have a, a bill that uh, HB 1455 is putting a 10 percent cap on flour, THC and 60 percent cap on concentrates and eliminating advertising for uh, cannabis docs. And of course, you guys have uh, a situation going on with uh, with Cornyn and, and Barbara Boxer. And, and so you can tell me what the heck is going on with Barbara Boxer. I mean, she. It's, it's San Francisco, you know? It's actually uh, Senator Feinstein. Um, Feinstein, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yes, you're right. Diane yeah. Feinstein, 89-year-old Diane Feinstein. Yeah, that's true. Um, West Coast girl. Yeah, Senator Feinstein has, has long been uh, antagonistic about reform. Uh, still to this day, won't publicly commit to defending uh, California's adult use program. Um, so, so what Senator Feinstein and, and, and Republican Senator John Cornyn, so they, in a bipartisan fashion, they recently released a report that called for, among other things, uh, consideration of THC caps in states that have reformed their policies. So here come two prohibitionist senators in bad faith suggesting how more enlightened state lawmakers should consider regulating their state programs. You know, to, to, to borrow a phrase from our current president, they're full of malarkey and there's nothing that they should be doing with, with – they, they shouldn't be engaging in this conversation in such bad faith. But they're prohibitionists who support the ongoing criminalization of marijuana and the impression of all of those people who consume it. So, so it, it's, it's hard to take any of this seriously, but they are two senior U.S. senators, so we absolutely have to. Now, of course, we've had – 
I'd say almost 200 bills that have come out of Congress since 1972 to reverse the damage of the uh, uh, Controlled Substance Act. Question is, over the last two years, we've actually had some bills hit committee and move yeah. forward, like the SAFE Act and the MORE Act. Do you see uh, what uh, Senator Feinstein and Senator Cornyn is doing to move forward at all, to get to committee or to move anything, to change policy? That's a really good question, and and, and I, I really appreciate how how you frame it because I think that's one thing that we need to do a good job of as as advocates and activists is is making sure that we're acknowledging where people are and where we want them to get, and that they might not get all the way there ever. But any movement forward is a good is 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 good progress for especially for folks like Cornyn and Feinstein who have been ardent strict prohibitionists and now. Even by releasing this report, they're acknowledging that this is the direction things are going. Um, when it comes to when it comes to committees and and how the the U.S. Senate works, you know, it, it's we actually we kind of dodged. Uh, maybe I should with all the gun violence, I shouldn't use the term dodged a bullet. Um, <laughs> we, uh, you know, we Only were stories. Uh, we're we're very fortunate. Uh, to see that Senator Feinstein is not the chair of the Judiciary Committee. She was the ranking member, and there there was actually a, a contentious moment where there, it was unclear which Democrat was going to take the chairmanship when uh, the partisan power flipped in the U.S. Senate. And, and now it's Senator Dick Durbin of Illinois. He is not a, 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 a flag-waving supporter of legalization. He, he is still uh, relatively uncomfortable with explicitly saying, I support marijuana legalization. But he represents a state that has legalized. He's an original sponsor now on, on the Safe Banking Act. Um, I want to shout out Chicago Normal, who two years ago, when they came to Washington, D.C., to as part of our lobby day, um, they they had a meeting with Senator Durbin's office, and then miraculously, the next week, Senator Durbin had co-sponsored the Safe Banking Act for the first time ever. So, you know, it's it's these kind of leather organizing and efforts that are going to get us across the finish line. And not we don't need everybody who votes yes to be an enthusiastic supporter of ours. We just need them to vote yes. And I think we are getting inc- every single day. We are increasingly closer to having a majority of the Senate publicly vote yes. I think if we had a closed door vote today, we would get where where names weren't attached, we'd get 50, uh, 50 plus, maybe even 60 plus U.S. senators voting to end um, federal prohibition by removing marijuana from the CSA. It's just, you know, there's still a lot of, of, of public uh, jockeying that, that needs to get done so that way these politicians who are worried about certain constituencies can can say that they satisfied the concerns of their constituents, particularly particularly the police. So, Justin, I, I have a question. You know, here in Florida, just in the last week, uh, two public employees have been fired uh, from their jobs for legal state-sanctioned medical marijuana use. And you know, in both cases, the firings. Uh, cited that they received grants from the federal government. Uh, one was a school, you know, both uh, being school districts and one was a county. And so, you know, under the Drug-Free Workplace Act of 1988, that that's what they were citing is that, oh, sorry, you got to go. You know, this is still Schedule One drug federally. So if, if even if we remove it from the Controlled Substances Act, 
does there have to be an update to the Drug-Free Workplace Act? Or, you know, do we need to do both? Do we also need to update the Drug-Free Workplace Act? Because we're pushing a public employee uh, workplace protection act here in Florida. But if they're citing federal law, then our public employee act would be, you know, essentially nullified, uh, you know, in the court systems and the battles that, that would ensue. Well, that, 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 that's so to answer the principal question, do we need to deal with the, the federal work, uh, drug free workplace act? The answer is very simply yes. Um, that being said though, you know, right now, Florida's medical marijuana program is in complete defiance of the federal government. Like essentially, you know, for all intents and purposes, every single lawmaker that you have that, that will defend the Florida, Florida's medical program, no matter how they want to change it, as long as they acknowledge its legitimacy, they're on this issue, they're essentially giving the finger to the feds because they're saying, we don't recognize your authority on this issue, and we are going to move forward in complete defiance of your federal mandate, right? So, so you know, they, they're kind of radicals, right? Even even the, the ones who, you know, they, they may support a THC cap, or they may support really high taxes, or they may support really onerous restrictions on, on, on what, because even though they're not doctors, they, they still think that they should be able to tell people who suffer what you can use it for and what you can't like they're still in opposition to the federal prohibition so uh but regarding the public employee thing I, i'd love chris i'd love for you to send me that stuff because i hadn't heard about that uh but you know i i will point out you know just uh last year mayor keisha lance bottoms of atlanta changed their their employment policy saying that they will no longer conduct pre-employment or random drug tests for marijuana for public employees We've seen this in New York City. We're seeing this now more and more states are engaging in this conversation. We have um, medical protections for uh, employees in multiple states now, mostly that have been achieved through the courts actually, and like state level courts that have said, it is discriminatory if you fire someone for, for partaking in a substance that has been recommended by their physician. Um, so th th this is an evolving conversation. It's really hard, and, and if, if, if I could soapbox for just one more second, it's really, really hard to nail this down because there is a legitimate concern, even if it is just a nugget of one that's covered under bullshit that they argue with it. There is a legitimate concern about intoxication in the workplace, right? Just as you don't, you know, most employer, like no employer wants their employees to show up drunk. Um, they, you know, how we get address that legitimate underlying concern by cutting through all the bullshit that's used to to argue in in defense of oppressive policies that deny people the right to to put a roof over their head and bread on their table is is a very difficult thing to do when it is underlying that 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 nugget of 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 legitimacy. So it is an ongoing conversation. We got to be thoughtful about how we approach it. And, and we just got to use the facts. So this is why, you know, every single day for the last two weeks, I've sent out our fact sheet on, on the impacts of the workplace in states that have reformed their policies, showing how workplace incidents have not uh, gone up. The, the cost of, um, you know, costs associated with any problems have not gone up. We don't see increases in, in ap employee absences or we don't see any real increases in employees being fired for, for being intoxicated. And, and slowly but surely, you know, through that hard work of trying to uneducate people from their propaganda 
and get them to acknowledge reality, we're, we're eventually going to win. It's just going to take a while. See an increase in workplace morale. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I mean, Chris and I wrote the bill, and we originally set it up for private industry and public industry, and they thought the only way to get it to their first committee was to back it up so you wouldn't have a new just cause going through the, uh, <clears throat> the, the private industry. And yet we are still stuck here because the first committee uh, chair is Senator Ray Rodriguez, who also uh, sponsored the cap bill the last two years prior to this. And he said he doesn't see a problem with employment and, and cannabis. He doesn't know about people who have actually gone from hospice to going back to work because of this particular medication. And so what we need from you guys out there is as many stories as you have of employment in situations where you have been affected by just the fact that you have a medical card that allows you to be healthy enough to go to work and, 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 and supply for your family and be a taxpaying citizen. These are the kind of things that Ray Rodriguez needs, needs to know because we only have about a week and a half until it's too late for that first committee to actually hit for a bill to be able to survive the entire session because we have a 12-week session. We're going up to, to week five now. And if we don't get it in, the, in its first of three committees, it's not going to go anywhere because we're going to start working on the budget pretty soon. So, if, again, if you have a story, send it to us. We are going to send those things en masse to Senator Rodriguez and say, we need this bill to at least be heard in debate in its first committee, and let's have that discussion at least. What is he so afraid of? But that, that brings to my next question is we are doing so many, you are doing so many things over in the federal government that we would love to see uh, change things here in Florida because we've had to deal with anytime there's a ripple of a stone hitting in, in, in D.C., eventually we get the wave. <laughs> uh, you, you, you have uh, someone who says we need a robust regulatory system and we get stuck with this idea that was, we're going to have to regulate the hell out of you because the federal government says so. That's not exactly what was said, but that's just the way that it, that it came down. So let's say that now that the Senate is somewhat different and we're possibly getting rid of the filibuster, that, the, that this time the MORE Act and the SAFE Act will go beyond the House mm -hmm. and will actually get heard in the Senate. If those bills go through, who will preempt who? Will the federal government preempt the states or will the states be able to opt out and preempt the government? So that's that's a really good question. And I... I, I... I talk about this all the time because there has never been a bill introduced, to my knowledge, at the in the U.S. government, or in the U.S. Congress, that would force states to reform their policies. You know, every every bill that we talk about that that that's quote unquote national legalization, is a descheduling bill, is an ending prohibition bill. You will, with with very rare occasions, sometimes I slip. I will never say federal legalization. Because what I'm worried about is if people hear me say that, then, you know, people in Florida, people in Texas, people, you know, in, in the 35 states that haven't reformed their policies for, for state level possession might believe that a ending federal prohibition somehow ends state level prohibition. And under our federalist nature of, of our Constitution, that's not the case. And, and even the most radical proponents of, of, of marijuana policy reform, and I, I put radical in the sense of like they're, they're, they're the most marijuana freedom proponents in the federal government, they're still not going around saying we need to force states to, choose, to, to change their policies. So if, if federal prohibition ended tomorrow, the biggest differences you would see in Florida would be 
you know, your, your, your state licensed businesses have access to, to the full suite of banking services, assuming that those private banks choose to, to, to engage with you, they would be able to do it now legally and the way that they deal with paying their taxes. That's about it, right? It would still take a while for whatever other rules or regulations were prompt, were, were put forward for those to come into compliance. But the word regulation in and of itself doesn't necessarily have to be a scary word. It can be for consumers a very good word in the sense of the, the kind of policies we were just talking about with employment protections. Those are regulations, right? Like those kind of protections are the rules that we would write, the rules that we have worked with uh, Charlie Crist, representative from Florida in, in the Fairness and Federal Drug Testing Act that he introduced a couple of years ago with, with a Republican co-lead. Um, you know, like th those are regulations, right? Uh, so so there, there are good regulations. I, I would just want to throw that out there, right? Like not all regulations are bad. Um, in fact, many are very good. So how how it is that like how long those downstream um, rules and, and regs are going to take to take effect, you know, probably, you know, conversations I've had with lawmakers anywhere between 180 days and five years. Um, but, you know, they're they're not. It, it's 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 not like ending federal prohibition is going to be this this catalyzing moment that automatically changes rules in America. It just automatically is going to change the mentality of lawmakers, in, particularly in prohibition states, realizing they now need to catch up to the feds when the feds are already light years behind the American public. I mean, one of the few good things I can think of, in fact, that this is federally illegal is that med men could not declare bankruptcy but we're, we're going to get into another issue that adam we love you but you created a terrible thing but <laughs> the fact is we 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 often wonder you know what is the advantage of what, what the status quo is right now and yeah. should we, we worry about going up going forward and what what, what are the possible cons of uh of, of getting federal uh, legalization that will might re remove protections we have in the state no, and and I think and I pick on Florida all the time, just as the you rest should. of the does. Um, what the hell, man! <laughs> and, um, but 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 with with we you need know, a spanking. <laughs> your your licensing structure, right? And and how few entities are able to compete, which yeah. which hugely depresses the the consumer options, which is antithetical to to any kind of definition of capitalism one could come up with, right? And, uh, you know, in, in it's, I think we need to do a much more thoughtful approach to licensing than than the state of Florida has done. Um, you know, at, at nor at national yeah. normal, <laughs> yeah, at national normal, we, 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 we try not to say like, hey, listen, you should have your licensing structures this way, that way, because every state, every community is different. And, and we don't think there's a one size fits all, but the Florida size is a terrible fit for anyone. And um, so, so probably after federal prohibition, I think that there, the likelihood for there to be numerous lawsuits against the existing operation could trigger a, a, a kind of unintended consequence of shutting everything down, right? And you don't like, you know, and, and the question is, is would that quote-unquote shutdown mean that consumers won't have access to the very limited marketplace y'all already have? Um, that is that I would say that is the 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 biggest fear 
um, is not a real substantial fear that I have. I would just say like that's like the worst parade of horrors where where it could go to. Uh, I think most more likely than not though, you will see it triggering a bunch of lawsuits. People trying to say like, hey, listen, like you need to issue more licenses. And ultimately, it's going to be good for consumers. It's just going to be a real bumpy road between now and then. Yeah, we we see the situation here in Florida all the time. They they write a law, and somebody ends up having to sue for it because it, it, it's actually unconstitutional. And we go on for years trying to fix it. That's what we've been doing here in Florida. I helped with the uh, the guys who did the Florida Grown case, and we've been working on it now since January of 2017 to to break the vertical mandate over here. And to allow smaller organizations to come and actually have some kind of social equity uh, kind of situation. Can, uh, can, I, can I ask you guys? So, you know, I remember when when Ron DeSantis was in Congress, he he talked about the existing medical companies as if and he described them as cartels, like legal, yes. legal cartels. And now my understanding from the rhetoric I've seen coming out of his administration, very different rhetoric. Um, you know, is is there any kind of underlying movement towards dramatically expanding licensing, having those, those kind of social? Where where's that update? It's been pretty much quashed. Yeah. Uh, we haven't we haven't issued a new application process since 2015. Uh, we're stuck with the 22 we have right now, of which 17 got them through through a, a law administrative judge because of the fact that their application process was flawed. Uh, and so, therefore, they got them by uh, by lawsuit. And so, therefore, these are all fodder for our mergers and acquisitions right now because most of these guys failed in their application in the first place, which was only an application for low THC, by the way. Yeah. And when, when, once they got their license, they really realized that they were not capable of actually creating a vertical company with the infrastructure, with the money that they had. <clears throat> and so, therefore, that's why uh, all of a sudden Treadwell becomes MedMen. And then... Cresco buys up this person, and Red, White, and Bloom just bought up acreage of all of all things over here. So it's just back and forth. It's like Pac Pac Man versus Pac Man. We're just Wild. we're eventually going to be uh, hopefully not one or two, but I've, I have heard of a particular company that's buying another Florida company and then putting up their license for sale. But I, I can't give you more any more information on that because uh, I'd have to kill you afterwards. <laughs> But the, uh, the, the other part of it, Gary, is the, the fact that the law itself that was set up by the legislature said that for every 100,000 patients, they need to dish out five more licenses. Now, we're at half a million. And when was the last time we seen new licenses come out, Gary? Again, the, the last new license that was actually achieved through an application process was 2015. All the rest of them were, were given out uh, via the legal system. And so we missed the four new ones that for the 200 mark, the 300 patient mark the 400 patient mark, and now the 500 patient mark. And yet people still say, any day now, they're going to be releasing a new application. It's kind of like when Trump was in charge and he said, in two weeks, we'll have a new health care plan, right? Our, our two weeks have never, ever come across. And we're, we're still waiting at this point in time. And that is why the market over here for a license is really becoming uh, quite a crocodile farm. <laughs> they really are going after each other tooth and nail. Now, Here's a question you might be able to answer for me because I wasn't quite certain. Somebody asked me the other day. Uh, Washington, D.C., of course, has their, has their own rules and regulations, even though they are essentially an extension of the federal of the, the U.S. legislature. So if they become a state, would that change their, their, their cannabis law over there? Which is crazy in and of itself because Chris has got a lot of stickers. Yeah. 
Um, so yes, absolutely. So in 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 Washington D.C., there. Um, so just for for your viewers who may not know, um, residents who live in Washington D.C., Americans who carry American passports, who who for all intents and purposes are are, are full blooded Americans, but are denied the the kind of representation in the U.S. Congress with with senators. There there are no you have no voting representation in the U.S. Senate if you're a D.C. resident. You have no voting representation in the U.S. House for, for the, the floor if you're a D.C. resident. And there are other problems associated with the holdover district status. I mean, th think of it like, you know, the the, the just the denial of rights. It's, it's, a, it's a modern day colony, if you will. Um, and there because of that, that's why when we saw the, the January 6th um, insurrection at the Capitol, the mayor of Washington, D.C. was not able to activate the National Guard because we're not a state. Um, it, it's, so we, they had to wait you know, hours and hours and hours and hours and hours for someone at the White House to allow them to do it to try to bring some kind of stability to the Capitol. Um, so those are just a couple of the, the things that, that, that pertain to D.C. statehood and, and why I hope your viewers would, would uh, support it. Um, under DC, because DC doesn't have its own autonomy, its budget has to get approved by Congress. And there is a complete asshole member of Congress named uh, Andy Harris. He's a Republican out of Maryland who often likes to pretend that he's the mayor of Washington, DC, and impact how Washington, DC is able to uh, spend their own money, local tax revenue that's generated because he's on the right committee to do so, the Appropriations Committee. So since 2014, when DC voted to legalize adult use marijuana, Andy Harris put forward a thing preventing the district from being able to spend one nickel of its own tax dollars to set up a regulatory structure and a licensing structure to do that. So it'd be as if, you know, let's say, so you know, to compare it to, to Florida, Ron DeSantis, when he was in Congress, voted to prevent the federal government from interfering in Florida setting up its medical program, right? That is not the case. You know, here we're seeing direct intervention. So if we had DC statehood, the district could, as Florida does now, give a big middle finger to the feds and say, we're doing it anyways. But because they're a district, because they don't have autonomy in their budget, they can't do it. So um, if DC flips to, to be a state, you're, yeah, the mayor and the city council right now are arguing about how they'd want to legalize and how they how much justice they're willing to give. Um, it's all it's a it's a good argument that they're having, um, but they're ready to legalize the minute they have the autonomy to do so. And I suspect that there would be an adult use operation like f functional marketplace up in within six months. So if that happened. You know, you'd be able to come to Washington, D.C., see the sites, see the museums and buy legal weed. That'd be good because that, that'll make up for the for the lack of uh, car dealerships and mines and stuff that has been preventing D.C. from becoming a state for all these time. I will say we do have car dealerships in Washington, <laughs> D.C. I don't know where they, they got that argument. They, they pulled that talking point straight out of where the sun doesn't shine. <laughs> and it is, it is flatly not true. Um, it was a weird talking point to see because I'm like, there are dealerships in the district. It's not, I don't know. I mean, so, over 700,000 residents, there are more D.C. residents than there are residents of the state of Wyoming or Vermont, both of whom have two senators, both of whom have a, 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 a full, uh, a member of the House of Representatives with full voting rights. 
um, you know, and both of whom can call the National Guard up and activate them in case of emergencies. And, and it's absurd that we deny those, those fundamental rights of representation and self-determination to nearly a million American citizens. I worked for the Centers for Disease Control when I was stationed in D.C. from 91 to 93, just the, the post-Marion Barry area. And I saw the district people really suffering over the fact that they did not have control over their own tax dollars. That's why the, the fleet of cars, we would have people go out uh, on the a task to you know get HIV bloods from folks over in Southeast or whatever, and their car would break down somewhere mm -hmm. and they wouldn't be able to get them back because these cars are so beat up and they didn't have the money. In fact, I think at one point in time, they actually ran out of toilet paper for the city, uh, for the district, because like, they didn't have access to their own tax dollars. Yeah. And hopefully sure. that would make a huge difference. And when statehood comes and they have the their, their right to go ahead and create their own cannabis tax structure, to be able to actually survive as, as an actual citizen, actual city like everybody else does. Yeah. Well, Gary, that's a that's a good question around taxes. I know that uh, many of the groups out there outside of normal that are advocacy groups, some of the veteran groups that I uh, work with, uh, have concerns over the MORE Act, over federal legalization, adding another tax layer to already the taxes that we see in the states and essentially create an illegal market that's out of touch for the vast majority of working class people. If, if only the middle class and the wealthy are able to afford legal cannabis, and we're still gonna criminalize the, the, the black market, the legacy markets, then the, there is definitely still a, a lot of issues there. Justin, uh, what do you say to those veterans groups and to those others groups that have major concerns over the existing legislation? Because we all can see like, hey, anything is better than nothing. For some people, the, 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 this uh, forward progress feels like a couple steps back. No, absolutely. And I, I, I remember having multiple conversations with, with some of the folks you're referring to about this issue. And, and it's been incredibly frustrating for, to, to talk about these things when the MORE Act would net reduce taxes on the existing programs, right? Dramatically so. Um, and, and this is because of, of how 280E works. You know, as of right now, for, for, for those of you who, who, who are watching who might not be aware, every single state licensed program, um, be it medical or adult use in those marketplaces, those companies are not able to take any standard deductions whatsoever. Um, so it, it's as if, you know, when you go to file your taxes personally, you don't get to write off anything or you don't even get to take the standard deduction, right? So they have to pay taxes. They, what, what that means is they end up paying uh, an a overall effective tax rate twice that of every other sector of the legal economy. It's absurd. So the, while I, I am sympathetic to concerns about a federal tax and, 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 and those who believe that there shouldn't be a federal tax at all, I'm sympathetic to that point of view, but I'm not going to let the perfect ideology that some people hold be the enemy of the of the overwhelmingly positive from where we are today and it does bring the collective tax rate down and i know that 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 there are still people who are going around saying oh this is going to raise taxes this is going to raise taxes but if the net tax rate dramatically falls are you mad about that like <laughs> You know, like, let's say, let's say I get, you know, you, you, you like just, you know, you make a hundred thousand dollars, right. And, and, and you have to pay, 
$50,000 in taxes this year, right? Next year, you only need to pay $30,000 in taxes, but 5% five, 5 of that goes to a different fund? Like, you're net saving $20,000, like, you know, instead of $25,000. Like, you know, and, and, and the money that it's, that it's funding is funding expungements. It's funding SBA programs to, to promote local and diverse ownership. It's, 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 it's directly uh, offering grant money to local and state lo localities and states in exchange for them setting up licensing structures that prioritize local and diverse ownership. Like it's, it's going to be funding for, for VA uh, research. Like it's, 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 it's hard to say that, that a overall lower tax bill and funding justice programs is a bad thing. But I, I, you know, I, it's, it, it's, it's, it's tough. You know, I, I, I know that some people are very, very anti-federal taxes, period. Um, I don't take that kind of a rigid line. I, I, I don't think it's appropriate. And I think taking that kind of a rigid line is, 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 is overall hurtful to the cause because I do not see a pathway forward where the federal government doesn't impose some kind of a tax. And, and I think that fighting when, you know, the, the original proposal was 25%. We got them down to, to 5% and, and, and slowly escalate to eight. Like I count that as a huge win and I'm not going to let other people, uh, uh, other naysayers who don't believe in federal taxation take away from that. Well, it's amazing how politics tends to get in the way. Here in Florida, of course, the libertarian wing of the uh, Republicans are the most pro-cannabis. And oh, yet yeah. they're also the same guys who say all taxes are theft. Yes. But the, so, but the question is, is do, do they support a minor tax on, on cannabis in order to fund the regulatory system that, that, that we have to make sure that we have safe products and consumer protections and yada yada? And, and other things. Like, I don't know. I, I, I've talked to a lot of libertarians that acknowledge that contradiction. They support a minor reasonable tax on cannabis um, while they oppose, you know, income taxes writ large. I mean, we have we have two situations, of course, how many tax, how much taxes we actually collect, because if you look at, like, for instance, uh, Illinois law, huge excise tax. Now, you think that's not passed on to the consumer? Of course it is. And yet we also have sales tax after that. So the, in it, uh, having taxes upon taxes. But the other issue we have, especially here in Florida, is where does the money go once it's collected? Like, for instance, we had a huge, huge win when we won against the tobacco companies back in 1996. And yet a lot of that money in the trust fund does not go towards tobacco cessation efforts. In fact, every year when they have to balance the budget, they dip into that trust fund, be it whatever they want to do it for, including, you know, stopping all abortions, whatever, whatever they, feel they, they feel they want to put the money towards at that point in time, they do it. Yeah. We just had another $100,000 being given to it to do a drug-free Florida to go ahead and find out the severe effects of cannabis on uh, pregnant women and postpartum, of course, totally ignoring the, the Jamaican study in the 1960s as being non-existent. Uh, and yet we can't get money to get to get, get, to get uh, organizations like normal and those kind of situations with that kind of cash that it's out there and available to us. Yeah. I, I I will that no that that that's absolutely true and 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 how how we have governments prioritizing our resources is is crazy I I, I do want to say one other thing to Chris's question if if you don't mind um, on on just like federal taxes in general because um, the Moore Act is 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 not perfect right it is the best thing it is the only bill to end marijuana prohibition that's ever been taken up in a chamber of Congress and it passed and I'm and we're damn proud of, and happy about that but that doesn't mean it's perfect. 
um, there and th there is a lot of improvements to be made. One in, in the tax regime, which which you brought up, Chris, is uh, creating a, a program that's going to not apply those taxes to medical programs, because we do believe uh, there should not be taxes on people's medicine. So we think that that that's an improvement we can make. I've had conversations with a lot of lawmakers about that. I think we're making forward progress. I'm hope I'm cautiously optimistic that that, that we're going to be able to see that in future legislation changed. Um, I would encourage anybody and everyone who's concerned about that, talk to your lawmakers about it. We made a, an action alert to contact your U.S. senators about their they're working on this right now. Um, you know, and, and everybody can edit those those messages and include whatever it is they want. I would encourage folks to do that. Um, and then, but the the other thing, the good part that got slipped into the tax structure that nobody talked about, um, well, except for me. So now I'm going to talk about it with y'all. Is is um, is is the fact that we got language that had never been public before included in it was the it was the only good thing that changed in the bill at the end um, that exempted uh, made explicit exemption of home cultivation from taxation right so if in under previous legislation that had been introduced it made no distinction there it just said if you if marijuana is grown in this country it needs to be taxed. And we got language included that that exempted um, personal use cultivation marijuana from federal taxation, which affirmatively acknowledges the legal right for, for people to be able to do that within states. So hopefully that will be something that uh, states will look at, see, oh, look, the feds included this. That means they're probably going to include it again in the future. And maybe that means we shouldn't criminalize, continue to criminalize people for growing, um, you know, one plant, five plants, whatever number. I don't really care what the number is. I want to change the fact that the police shouldn't be able to enter someone's home just out of a concern that they're growing for themselves. Um, so that number can be five, it can be 10, it can be 99. Um, we just need a number. And, and we need the affirmative legal right for, for home cultivation. Um, so what so would that, be the logistics of being able to tax home grow? What was that? What would be the logistics behind being able to tax home grow? How would you know what amount you're actually – because with excise tax, obviously, any amount going out of a particular uh, cultivation center can be taxed. But with home grow, are you going to have the cops coming in with a scale and say, let's check and see how many plants you have and how much you've harvested this year? Tax collectors coming into my garden. Oh, yeah. Enjoy it. Let us sit down. There, there's, I've heard all kinds of absurd proposals in different states how – they want people to have to get permits to home grow. They they want there to be annual inspections. They want this. They want that. Like it's it, it is crazy what kind of cockamamie ideas state policymakers will think of when when it comes to having controls over over the public in re regards to marijuana. Um, where we we fight against all those in general. Um, but yeah, like you know, we from my perspective. As long as there is a legal right to home cultivation, then then that forces the police, if they want to enter your house based on the suspicion of cultivation, that they need to get a judge to sign a warrant because the suspicion is not home cultivation. The suspicion is diversion, illicit distribution, and, and, and it's our hope that judges will give scrutiny to the police and say, I'm only going to sign this. If you give me a compelling reason to sign it, aka go do police work, right? Don't just go harass people because you have a hunch. Imagine that. 
<laughs> I mean, right after prohibition, obviously, we, we got a lot of the gangs knocked down, not because of the violence, because of tax evasion, essentially. Yeah. Is, is that the same thing that's going to happen to us? Uh, not if, as, as long as we don't have some kind of a law that can be inferred that, that home growth should be taxed, no. You know, you brought up a, a good point of, of through all of this in that, you know, United States senators, the ball's in their court at this point. Yeah. And that's a problem for us here in Florida because Marco Rubio and Rick Scott, I have emailed them every single time you send out an action alert, Justin. I, I sign it and I send it and I get those responses from them that they do not support us on cannabis. Yeah. And Marco Rubio is up for election in 2022. So for all of you watching out there, I encourage you, especially if you're a Republican, to understand that where his loyalties lie are not with the vast majority of Floridians in having access to their medicine. Yeah, Ted Deutsch, we're waiting for you to run. We want you to run on this one. But that's just my own opinion. Or or Pam Keith. We have, we have a couple of people we want to get in there because uh, our, 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 uh, our DSC folks, they don't always pick the best candidates. I, I, I'm not going to disagree with you <laughs> having followed Florida politics since 2012 when I when I briefly worked on uh, on Lois Frankel's campaign for Congress. Like, yeah, some sometimes y'all aren't that good at picking statewide candidates. Florida, I'm, I'm, I'm not talking Alan Grayson, although yes, I am. But the fact is, we, we have a habit of, of picking people who are dynamic but not necessarily uh, able to win. Yeah. Well, I hate this idea of winability as an actual reason to vote for somebody. I'd rather vote for somebody who's competent as opposed to just somebody who can win. Otherwise, we wouldn't have had uh, the previous uh, president in for four years. But that, that, that seems to be the issue. So the War Act, now that, we, now that it's, it's hopefully going to go past the House again, so it's, it's a, new, a new legislature, and onto the Senate, when do you see it being uh, debated on the floor? That is a very good question. Um, so, so right now, as 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 one can, you know, guess, um, is that sometimes the House and the Senate don't talk to each other as much as you would like them to in a governing coalition sense. Um, the the biggest question is just trying to make sure that we get it sequenced in a way that one chamber isn't undermining the other chamber's efforts, um, because we we've seen in the Senate very very loudly, very very predominantly. Um, where, where Senator Booker, Senator, uh, Senator Wyden, and Senate Majority Leader Schumer have said, we're working on our own bill. Ah, right? And they're, and they're rattling the sabers about that. And in the House, there, there's the Moore Act, where, where the first ever bill to end marijuana prohibition that has passed, right? But it was an imperfect bill. At the end, there was a lot of, a, a lot of whataboutism with the bill. You know, norm, we've, we've never alluded that the Moore Act is the perfect bill in the world. It's just the best that we've ever uh reasonably thought could get consideration right and we were right and it did and it passed um so now the question is is what are the the imperfect aspects of the more act we're going to see improved in the senate effort what are other concerns that may come up in this senate effort that that we didn't have about the more act and and how those two ideological lanes are going to intersect right so in, in the MORE Act, we, you know, there, there's been a lot of talk about reintroduction and moving it in, in, in the House, um, but there's a lot of pent up priorities, right? And we've seen how, how much legislative time the American Recovery Package took 
Um, we know that the president and and uh, and congressional leaders are already working on a second reconciliation package. Um, there there is a, a jockeying of efforts to include cannabis-related reforms in a reconciliation bill. So that way it will require 51 votes in the U.S. Senate as opposed to 60, because any standalone marijuana bill in the U.S. Senate would require 60 votes. So, and, and, and it is very hard to see a pathway to 10 Republicans that doesn't include, Chris, as you just brought up, Marco Rubio, right? Like we, you know, so, so the question is, is how would we be able to get to 60 versus how do we want to navigate this in a, in a reconciliation package and what can we get in and get past the Senate parliamentarian um, as, as far as what is what is acceptable in a reconciliation package? Um, so that is me filibustering and telling you all of the reasons why I cannot very succinctly answer your question um, and give you a, a timeline, because those are the factors that we're considering right now. Um, that are being considered right now when it comes to when is the MORE Act going to move through the, the House again, if at all, this year? When is the Senate package going to come out? And and when can we expect movement on either of those things? I was worried that we actually lost our bipartisan edge when we lost Rohrbacher, and then we lost Gardner. It's like, who else who are is on our side on the, on the, uh, the GOP are we going to lose, and who's going to replace them? Has there been anybody to replace those picking yeah. spots? Yes, uh, we did have just last week the Senate uh, the Senate introduction of the Safe Banking Act came out with uh, Senator Steve Gaines, Republican of Montana, as the Republican leader, and we did pick up additional Republican co-sponsors on that bill who had not previously been uh, on it in, in the last Congress. Um, you know, I, I I think that this idea that like you know somehow Cory Gardner was it was was a unicorn. Is, is just now a thing of the past. He showed that Republicans can be in favor of reform and not have a backlash from his own party. His electoral defeat had nothing to do with cannabis, his position on cannabis. Um, you know, and it's, it's very difficult to think that mo more Republican lawmakers are going to look at uh, the continued trajectory of polling on marijuana policy reform and say, like, oh, no, I can't do that. You know, when, when now a majority of Republican voters... Um, either by plurality or outright majority, support reform, support outright legalization. It's it's increasingly untenable for Republican politicians to maintain a pro-criminalization stance. I mean, the latest polls that we showed about fifty-eight percent of the country is in favor of responsible adult use. I'm not going to use the word recreational. I'm trying to get it killed somewhere, but uh, one of these days we, we might just get rid of that word. But uh, <laughs> It, it is remarkable that the uh, the polling that shows what the people are interested in does not match the number of people in, in the government who represent them, even though this is, is a representative government. Now, Rohrbacher, he was kind of like, you know, the good with the bad. He'll, he'll buy you a car and shoot your dog. But that that is what we had to deal with a lot of times, is that you had to take the good with the bad kind of thing. And that is why people don't want to be single-issue uh, voters, because... They, they might be interested in voting for somebody because of the fact that they have a positive cannabis bill. But then again, they're going to also increase their taxes or get to their dog or whatever. So I'm hoping that we get some kind of equity and mm -hmm. some kind of plurality where we can move forward without worrying about all the, all the, the pros and cons. Doctors always have to weigh the, uh, the 
risks and benefits. So what are the risks and benefits of the Warhouse Act as it currently stands? I would say two, I would point out two of the six Republican elected, I, only five of them were still Republicans when they voted for the Moore Act because um, Justin Amash had resigned from the Republican Party and had been a libertarian. Um, but, but two of the six elected Republicans who voted yes on the Moore Act are from the state of Florida, Brian Mast and, um, oh God, the guy from the panhandle whose name I'm facing on right now. Um, Mad Gates. Sorry, I, that, that I may have been cute. I just don't like to talk uh, about Gates. Um, <laughs> you see his name three times in the mirror. Your hair turns up like big boy. <laughs> I know. I feel incredibly uncomfortable discussing Matt Gates after he brought a uh, Holocaust denier to the State of the Union years ago. Um, so, uh, but yeah, so two of the six elected Republicans who voted yes on the mark hail, hail from the state of Florida. Why? Because, because Florida, of course, right? Like you, you guys are such an inherent contradiction amongst yourselves that that, that that's how that shook out. So um, those guys like the party. I mean, one's from South Florida, and the other one, you know, grew up with a rich daddy in politics. How does he not smoke copious amounts of weed? <laughs> so um, how how it is we're gonna get more Republicans on board? You know, we we had dozens of Republicans co-sponsor the States Act. Um, I think of the States Act as as kind of you know the the gateway legislation to fully ending federal prohibition. It's it's like uh, you know ending federal prohibition light. Um, it just leaves marijuana as a Schedule One substance, which is going to create all kinds of complications when it comes to um, enforceability amongst taxes and banking issues, which I I don't think that they fully have appreciated the concerns that we've raised there, um, but. You know, I, I, I think slowly but surely you're going to see more. I, I think that when we, we just saw last week David Joyce, a Republican of Ohio, um, send a letter to Joe Biden basically saying, hey, I saw that you fi your administration fired people. Don't do that. Right. Like a Republican came out and sent a letter and made it public that he was worried about uh, employment discrimination when it comes to cannabis. Right. Like that. If you would have told, you know, if I would have told you all that 10 years ago. That, that 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 a senior member of the Republican caucus was going to send a letter like that, you would have told me I was crazy, right? Um, or maybe you would have said, okay, maybe in 10 years, and then in which case you would have been right on the money. Um, and, you know, but like slowly but surely the, these gears are turning. I, I saw someone in the chat post something I think was really thoughtful, which was um, that, uh, you know, paradigm shift comes in 20-year cycles, and we're five years into this cycle, now, in no way, shape, or form am I, go am I willing to concede that this is going to take another 15 years to get done. Um, I think this is going to take much less time than 15 years to get done. Uh, but it, 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 acknowledging it is a paradigm shift, we are having – people are willing to engage in these conversations. They're willing to have more of an open mind than they did previously. Um, but, you know, we're, we're not done yet. I mean, uh, as, as far as, as Gates is concerned, you know, if, if it weren't for, for, for Matt, we wouldn't even have a cannabis program here in Florida. It, yep. it was it was his work, along with Katie Edwards from uh, Okeechobee, who actually got that compassionate care work because we got him to sit down and watch weeds with, with Dr. Mehta, and he actually it turned in that direction. He used to call me up at like 9 o'clock at night. He'd say, I was just talking to Dr. Jason Perizzolo. I don't get what he's saying. Could you explain what it is to me? So you know, I would have these very uncomfortable meetings every once in a while. I can tell you a picture with myself and Matt Gates and, and Roger Stone in one room. And I'm sitting there sweating bullets like, it's nice to talk to you guys. But uh, 
we, we, we've had to, to deal with some folks who we, they only had shared one piece of our ideology. And that, yeah. that apparently is the kind of thing that Matt Gates is. The question yeah. is, can he flip any of the ho more House members towards cannabis, or is he that toxic right now because he did uh, apply for that sycophant of the year award? I, I will say I think that his his ability to to be a good faith partner here has dramatically reduced since January sixth. Um, you know, one one of the most common questions I get when I talk with when I'm talking with the Democratic office about bipartisan efforts and Republican engagement is how did they vote on the sixth? And 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 given uh, Mr. Gates's decisions both on that day and since then. He has further and further entrenched himself into a position that I think is 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 um, for even quote unquote mainstream Republicans to to uh, to accept, right? Let alone any any Democrat any members of the Democratic Party. Um, so I, I think he is not the best messenger right here. But maybe Brian Mast, right? We we do see you know from Florida we we do see more Republicans stepping up, willing to engage in these conversations. Which we really appreciate. Like, you know, I just mentioned Dave Joyce, um, uh, House member. Just mentioned Steve Daines, member of the Senate from representing Montana. Um, you know, there there are plenty of other potential Republican champions. I just know, you know, when when we when there was debate on the floor of the House about the Moore Act, Matt Gates spoke against the reparative justice aspects of the bill and, and the expungement policies. And the majority of Americans support expunging marijuana offenses, right? So he is not even necessarily as 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 thoughtfully advanced on this issue as as he proclaims to be. Um, and it hurts when we have our, our any of our champions supporting continued criminal records for for minor offenses, right? Um, so, so you know, there 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 there's other Republicans that we need to engage. And, and hopefully, you know, Charlie Crist has partnered with Don Young, Republican uh, member of Alaska, on the Fairness and Federal Drug Testing Policies Act um, that, that, that addresses, you know, federal employment discrimination pertaining to cannabis. There's a lot more Republicans out there who are kind of curious and even further ahead than we give them credit for. And I think we need to do a better job of not just giving the loudest ones the, the acknowledgement, but giving the thoughtful ones the acknowledgement. Now, I'd love to have the Moore Act in some form or other pass within the next two years, prior to the prior to the midterms. But my next question is basically, what about the Safe Act? Are we going to see any form or piece of it be moved within the, within the first two the next two years before midterms? I'm certainly hoping so. Um, you know, I, I I would so much rather. You know, I, I we we just I was just doing some email blasts on the Safe Banking Act a couple of weeks ago, and I wrote. While we would prefer for banks to be able to uh, enter into agreements with marijuana-related companies as a result of ending federal prohibition, in the meantime, while political consensus is still being forged on how to do that, it is imperative that this bipartisan th uh, aspect of public policy go into effect. Uh, you know, the fact that 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 we have the American Banking Association and normal lockstep hand in hand coordinating on this, I think is 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 is, is truly a testament to to how much uh, broad support there is for safe banking. Um, the the real question is 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 how is it that we're going to be able to get it done? Um, is it something that we can possibly attach to a reconciliation package? 
Is it something that we can attach to maybe a, a another must-pass bill that has to get 60 votes? But you know, we 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 can add it on there because it has broad bipartisan support. You know, hell, the the bill got 321 votes uh, in in the previous Congress. 47% of the Republicans in the House of Representatives already voted yes on this bill, right? Um, and and more are, are willing to now that we, we've seen new Republicans get elected in the last Congress, their last election, who I believe would vote yes um, if given the opportunity. So I think that that would put a majority at their caucus voting yes. Um, it just got reintroduced in the House. I suspect we'll see a suspension vote in the coming months. So we'll, we'll see if I'm correct and we see more than 50% of Republicans vote yes, um, and I think we will. Um, so just, you know, again, with so many problems facing America right now, we're still in the middle of a global pandemic, right? And we're, we're, we're digging out of that. We're still dealing with, you know, catastrophic issues that we've been ignoring for decades. Um, marijuana's on the list. We're on the top 10 of the list. We're working on the top five of the list. And, and hopefully by the end of this congressional session, we'll, we'll have gotten floor time in both chambers of Congress. Well, we appreciate you being here. I know that Norwell has been fighting for this since the, since the mid-70s, and they, they've gone through all sorts of iterations. Whether they haven't gotten is a, any kind of congressional stipend to do the job that you're doing. I think the last time that I talked to you, I think, was over at the, uh, the, at the museum when they had that summit a couple of years ago. And you mentioned the fact that the budget for Norwell, as much as you guys do, is, is not that great. So we're, Zoom has actually been a great thing, so we can finally get you on, on board here to get a chance to talk to the folks of uh, Flora Normal. Now, that said, I would take it that the National Normal, just like our chapter, needs some kind of funding to move forward that does not come from the federal government because it ain't going to come from the federal government. So what can we do to support Normal in the well, national sense? Hey, no, I appreciate that question. Um, so so a couple of things. First, first and foremost, if, if you're not on our email list, get on our email list. We do a weekly Thursday newsletter and we do action alerts. I'm about to send out another one now where we're actually going to be asking people in Florida who have a history of taking actions um, to contact their friends in New York and New Mexico and tell them to tell their state lawmakers um, to support reform because both of those states are coming up this week. Um, but no, like give us money. Money's great. Um, <laughs> our, our average contribution is $18 and I think like 28 cents. Um, you know, we, we are funded by, by the grassroots. We represent the grassroots. We are the consumer advocacy organization. You know, I would say four out of five times our interests align with the emerging industry, but you know, we are that check on the industry to represent consumers interests. So if you want to have a consumer's voice at the federal level, pick us a couple bucks. If you want to have consumers' interests uh, at, at the state level, kick Florida normal and Suncoast normal a couple bucks. If you want to have both, kick us both a couple bucks. Um, and, and, and do what you can. Spread the word. Make sure you're talking to people on a regular basis, making sure that they know that we exist as a resource and, and making sure that and ultimately, for, for my intents and purposes as, as the lobbyist here, I want everyone contacting their lawmakers all of the time. I, I really appreciate, you know, what Chris brought up where, you know, when, when, we, when we send out action alerts that, that, that he fills them out, you know, we have generated hundreds and th hundreds of thousands of constituent touches to federal lawmakers during my tenure here. And, and, and I think that is what gives the permission structure to federal lawmakers to, to evolve their positions. Because um, as you said, Gary, like public polling isn't necessarily it. 
91% of Americans agree that there's too much money in our political system, yet our lawmakers, when when they're when they look at the survey the political landscape and they say, okay, well, nine in ten voters think this is bad, but two percent of people fund ninety percent of my election re-election, who who are they listening to? Right? The the status quo got them to where they are now, so why would they rock the boat? The same kind of theory applies to marijuana policy. And it's our job, it's incumbent on us to change those underlying dynamics and to demonstrate that we're paying attention, that we're watching what they're doing, that we, we've made it explicitly clear that what we want, and then they have two choices. They can either give us what they want or what we want, or they won't. And they're gonna have to suffer the consequences if they don't. And, and I think that is uh, why we've been helping move this ball forward so much faster now recently. And, and I'm just very fortunate that we are now all in a moment where we get to benefit from the decades and decades of work of, of activists and advocates who have come before when marijuana was not a cool thing to talk about, when marijuana was not, was not socially acceptable to talk about, when it was taboo, when, when even just having a meeting could invite law law enforcement to come break it up and put you in jail, right? Um, so so we benefit from all those who came before. I, I know all of you have been doing this for longer than I have, um, and I'm just your 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 humble scumbag lobbyist trying his best to get lawmakers moving forward. We've been smoking weed since before it was cool. <laughs> weed hipsters. Yeah, yeah. By the way, Hash Bash is coming up, guys. So uh, sweet. Yeah, head over to Ann Arbor and support those good guys over there. And well, you know, Car we, Carlos, you've been quiet uh, on a lot of this. I know how politics can put you to sleep, brother. But you know, I always go to you for I the Joe Stoner. It's good. You know, I always go to you for the Joe Stoner, Stoner point of view. Um, you know, because you're a business owner, but you're also, you know, you, like you said, you've been smoking weed since before it was cool. So out of all the politics that you're hearing, what 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 gives you hope? And and then at the same time, what, what kind of gives you pause, brother? We, we want to hear from you. Um, well, I, really what I'm hearing is uh, this isn't really a partisan issue. We've been going back and forth between Democrats and Republicans and how Democrats and Republicans feel about this. Uh, but uh, Justin brought up something earlier that it's, uh, you know, the politicians are just trying to satisfy their constituents. And it really seems to me that, like, where we move forward here is voting, not necessarily voting for marijuana reform, but writing, voting for the right politician to bring on that marijuana reform. You know what I mean? Like, it, it seems like marijuana reform is here. Mar the laws are coming, right? We need the right politicians to enact those laws. And I think really moving forward, the scariest thing is that a lot of people don't vote for these single issues. The scariest thing is that, you know, we, we're, we're voting Republican or Democrat, not for the issues at hand. There's yeah, a, I don't know. There's a lot of things I like to vote for. I like to vote to get all special interests to only have one vote. Because right now it seems like if Geo gives somebody $10, it's worth a lot more than us giving him $100 because Geo seems to have more impact as far as funding the federal prisons and funding our, our, our campaign folks over there than we do. The other thing I'd like to see, of course, is D.C. statehood and merge the damn Dakotas. And I'm telling you, Christy Nome, you are, uh, you are on my list, girl. 
because we are going to merge those damn Dakotas, who, by the way, split up to make certain that the Republicans had two more votes as opposed to one, which is why they split them up back you know, about a century ago. Well, it's about time that we merge those Dakotas and then make statehoods. We still have 50 states. And then I think I'll be happy. But uh, I don't think I can vote for that right now, can I? You don't get the option to. I, I, I will say just a, 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 on, a, on a random thought, a lot of folks are talking about getting rid of the filibuster. And I'm just like, well, you know, we could just get rid of the Senate. Like the, <laughs> the Senate was it was a compromise at the time to protect slavery, like the institution of slavery. Like we could just get rid of the Senate, too. Like it's 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 within the realm of possibility. I, I know that. You know, it, it doesn't. It's not a good look that Florida has just as much power in the Senate as as one of the, the one of the Dakotas, um, or, or maybe your your future Dakota superstructure. Uh, <laughs> it, it's it's pretty absurd that millions and millions and millions and millions of people have the same representation as eight hundred thousand people, mm-hmm. or in the case of DC, none at all, or right. in the case of DC, none at all. Yeah, yeah. I think we need to take a real close look and change our approach on how we choose our lawmakers. I think that's our biggest issue. I think we vote for how these lawmakers are marketed and not necessarily what they represent. And because of that, they know that they don't have to satisfy us as constituents. They have to satisfy the police as constituents, you know? And I don't know. We, we need to get rid of the Senate is where it comes down to. We need to get rid of the all of our lawmakers and just start fresh. Well, we, we've come to pass our, our hour, but we want to thank Justin Streckle for coming here from the Beltway all the way through the, through the benefit of electronics to be here today when he can't really afford an airline ticket to come to Florida and join spring break like all the other kids are doing. <laughs> but we, we appreciate you coming here. Um, no, I, I, if I can just say one, one, one last thing, just on what Carlos was saying, you know, uh, there, there, there was a Justice Mikva who was was largely accredited for ending the death penalty in Illinois, and and his uh, slogan was "Democracy is a verb," and I think that it, that it speaks exactly what you were talking about, Carlos. I think more people need to get involved, period, for whatever it is that brings them to. And when we have a robust engagement with our citizens then then that's how we're going to have our democracy so you guys are doing it on marijuana policy i love it as your scumbag representative in in washington dc i'm doing my best that i can um but no everyone needs to get engaged and i, I really hope everybody who's who watches this is on your guys email list is is, is active and sharing your resources um because collectively that's how we generate that ripple to get things done well, guys, if you are not already a member of Normal, remember that when you go ahead and give us your 25 bucks to become a member of Suncoast Normal, you not only get this fantastic pin that everybody at Normal carries, you know, in part of the way we, we, we GPS each other, but also the fact that we it, it makes for great conversations over in supermarkets when you're in line there. And, of course, you need to become a card-carrying member. That, 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 gold, that, that green car might not get you a discount at Culver's, but it will get you our respect. And uh, it will also <laughs> remember that we need everybody on the ground boots with uh, grassroots efforts because that is how this, this movement started. That is how this movement's going to end, and we need your help. And, of course, so if you, you, you go to suncoastnormal.org membership, click on that. You can get not only the pin, but also this fantastic mask, which you may still need to use unless we can finally get everybody vaccinated. And we didn't even talk about our event coming up. Go ahead, talk about our event. 
Whoa, I... Uh, as long as we have the, the graphic up there. I don't really need to talk much about it because I've got all the information right there up on the screen. We are holding the best blunt in the bay contest. It's going to be here at Chillum out in Ebor City on April 16th from 7 to 12 a.m. Um, details are on our website. You can sign up to be a contestant. You can sign up to be a judge. You can just come to the event and check out all the blunt rollers and smoke a bunch of blunts. And yeah. And, 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 well, it's like a free admission uh, right now for card carrying. There you go. Yeah. Look at this, guys. Okay? See that? Smooth, clean. Look yeah. Like, it almost looks like he's wrapped on a pencil. Yeah. That's the way things need to go. Whatever, man. That's that's a king palm, stuff. and that's a palm leaf cone that you packed. You didn't roll that. You packed it. Well, I'm OG, and I don't have to do it to prove anything to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> OGs know how to roll blunts, Gary. Look, oh, I, I, oh. I once had a perfectly uh, rolled blunt handed to me at the hash bash in 1980 was filled with paraquat, but <laughs> it was well rolled. That was the important thing at the time. Listen, Gary, it's 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 kind of weird that you're a judge because I'm not sure that you'd be able to tell what's a good blunt. No, I can. I, I'll be a good judge because I'm not going to come there so totally unsober that I can't tell whether it's a good blunt or not. I will know. You're good. <laughs> like, like the one you rolled last week. Ah, uh, don't even bring that no up. No bueno. No bueno. Don't even bring that up. <laughs> don't even. It's been a while. It's been a while since I rolled the blunt. Well, I gotta tell all our listeners: uh, get your tickets if you plan on being a judge or a competitor in the next two weeks. We're closing registration on April 9th for the competitors and judge positions. Uh, we'll only have general admission the week of the event available. So get your tickets now before they sell out. So if you want to prove you're the best blunt roller in the Bay, you've got limited time. And we actually and of got course, a show, show without talking about the damn cap here in Florida, pretty much, which was yes, what, talk, we talked we, about we, it we, for like we, five minutes. We touched it, but we, we, we went national with it, which was good because uh, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, I, Justin, I don't know if you saw this article yesterday in the New York Post before we leave here, but it actually states that the increase in cannabis use is directly related to the number of mass shootings. Gary, you'll because, touch because, the because it's creating psychosis, which is leading to people buying AR-15s and shooting up supermarkets. Because what else but cannabis could possibly do that? Oh, yeah. And the good news is that uh, Representative Spencer Roach, who has the cap bill, was the one who tweeted it, that that article out yesterday, saying, "Look what I found! It is so much a fact. It's nice to know that he's using the New York Post." And obviously, next comes after that the National Enquirer to go ahead and use as testimony when he goes ahead and files his bill. Yeah. Because that's Florida and that's how we roll. When it comes to lawmakers in Florida, it is it is fitting that his last name is Roach because he's like that dirty roach that's covered in ashes at the bottom of the ashtray and nobody really wants to smoke or touch because it's been there for three weeks. You know, I like ashtrays. Down, you know, down with Roach. Down with Roaches. <laughs> You know? Down with Roach for sure. All right, guys, uh, we're getting into a whole new episode now. <laughs> we're way oh, over. Justin, thank, thank you for your time, brother. Um, you, I, I, we appreciate you for all the hard work that you're doing. I know it is a thankless job in many cases. Uh, none of us get paid to do this. We're glad that we have you on payroll there at National to do this. And that's why all proceeds go towards legalization efforts. We need to make sure that Justin is there in the halls of government uh, running it for us. So we appreciate y'all. Well, Hopefully for not too much longer, though. <laughs> Hopefully for not not too much longer. Hey, thank you guys so very much for all you're doing. I appreciate it. And seriously, go go forth, kick ass in Florida. 
Um, I, you know, stop, stop the caps, obviously, and 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 everything else you all need to do. Uh, I wish you the best of luck, and 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 yeah, keep keep us posted. We'll talk soon. I'd much rather stop the caps than stop this deal. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. This has been the rotation. And you have been a part of it. You can be a bigger part of it by joining Suncoast Normal. Suncoast Normal is an organization that can help you make the change that we all need. Go to the Suncoast Normal website and become a member. Because that is how you become part of the change. You can find the Rotation Podcast on both SoundCloud and iTunes. But you can always join us in the rotation at suncoastnormal.org. At that very website, you can join the cannabis movement by becoming a member of Suncoast Normal, gain access to cannabis events, cannabis info, Normal's legal network, and even a free membership to National, all by joining Suncoast Normal. That website again is suncoastnorml.org. You can also find us on social media at Suncoast Normal. Uh, find us on both Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And thank you, Gary. And good night. Good night.